All righty. Hope you're well, people. Welcome back. First one I was going to cover. So Cameron Murray, who's a fan of the show, and a guy named Jago Dodson on Twitter have both sort of collaborated or both shared on this thing that I thought was super interesting. Gough Whitlam was a prime minister, former prime minister of Australia uh, in 1958 while he was a member of the opposition uh, on May the 2nd, 1958. He had a speech talking about the role of different types of government and how housing policy can better better help more people get into housing at more affordable rates in order to boost economic outcomes for everybody, not just people that are already rich to begin with. He explains that the role of the Commonwealth at the time is to decide on the financial settings for housing finance, because this is before the Commonwealth Bank became a private bank, while the state and council, state governments and councils decide how to build and regulate homes in each state. This has strong parallels to today, where the central bank and federal financial regulation determine the price and access to mortgages. So we've got the Reserve Bank now, and they dictate the cost of borrowing to the banks, and then the banks sort of follow that on and dictate how affordable money is for people to borrow. Uh, and it tends to be the more money you have earning, uh, the more money you earn and the more money you have saved, the better finance options you're going to be able to capitalize on compared to people in poorer brackets who maybe aren't as good with money or just don't earn enough uh, to be able to get access to finance. So obviously that's a that's a big point. Whitlam sort of goes on and talks about how the availability and cost of housing uh, is sort of something that's up to the RBA. State parliaments can control the cost of land and housing. Can- local councils are responsible for zoning. If a council wanted to make more housing available more often, they could relax different zoning laws to allow people to develop more than one property on a block of land or subdivide or change the law, the zoning. So there's land that will be then zoned for mixed use or for higher density. So instead of just zoning land for one house on each block, maybe allowing a zoning to come through where there's uh, eight units on a block, which is obviously opening the door to home ownership or renting to eight families compared to one. Whitlam sort of talks about how the state governments have undoubted power to fix rents and fix the price of land because they get to control how much land is available to the the population uh, and at what times, which is in a way fixing the price to not flood the market if they don't want to. And Whitlam talks about that at the time, a person purchasing a house from the War Service Homes Division of the Housing Commission saves £500 on the cost of land alone. And he talks about how Back then, at the time of this speech, uh, if you were a returning veteran, you could buy a house or buy land and get the the build of the house, the cost to build the house. You could get that all discounted by the government to pay a third of the market price based on being a war veteran. So this was an advantage where the government could acquire subdivide land and then allow people to buy that below market price to get more people into the market and allow more people to own homes than than what we're doing right now. It, it's, it's sort of interesting that even back in the late 50s, politicians like Gough Whitlam were coming up and saying, we could provide more housing to help more people into home ownership by buying it ourselves and selling it to them much lower than what the market would dictate that house is worth. Um, we've done it before. We don't. We don't do it anymore. 
but I just thought it was yeah. a super interesting thing. And he also notes in a in a speech that came out the same year that alongside this, he talks about the immigration and, and the problem that's posed to the country with high immigration. And he says, he notes that the federal government can enrich their coffers because the more people you let into the country who are working, the more people are paying income tax, which is great for the federal government who take those taxes. But then you obviously got a higher tax base from pushing up immigration, but you're then leaving state, territory, governments and councils to face the cost and problem of building the right infrastructure to make sure the new people and rising populations are supported and they're getting less mm-hmm. support. And this was a problem that Gough Whitlam was talking about in 1958 and it's still a yes. thing we're talking about right now where the the levels of income tax that the government are taking in right now is quite high. We've obviously just taken in another 500,000 migrants. How many of them are going to be workers is, is sort of hard to know because some of those are children and stuff like that. But the federal government's going to get more money from income tax by bringing more migrants in, but they can wipe their hands off and just handball off the problem of building housing Sub, subdividing and regulating zoning for housing to councils and to state governments and and call call it that it's their fault based on something that the federal government are sort of causing or making worse of a problem. And I just wondered, like, I thought this was a super interesting one that history might not be a cycle, but it definitely rhymes. And the same problems that we're talking about today were problems they were talking about 70 years ago. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, it's it's a bit of a um, hodgepodge because, you know, as Goff said, and he became prime minister, I think, in 72, was there for a couple of years. Federal government sort of sets the macro policy and then the states are the ones responsible for delivering housing outcomes. And a lot of the states sort of, I suppose, outsource that to local councils. You know, what you have, have you ha- what's happening now in a couple of states is they're... Um, they're basically changing the rules so it's going to be easier to get things approved because you've got some developments where they're just saying in, in Crown Street, Dubbo, Damo, someone says, um, oh, we want to knock down two houses and put up 14 apartments. Everyone complains because everyone thinks medium density and new houses are great just as long as it's not near them. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, the issue we've got is you've got three levels of government all sort of not really, they're not really like an orchestra playing in tandem. It's like they're all playing off three different types of music, a bit like, you know, listening to the Hunter School of Performing Arts, Tim Whistles, you know, in the in primary school. So, um, yeah, it's just a bit of a bit of a shamble. So, um, yeah, a few commentators have said the easiest way to fix the housing crisis at the moment is stop immigration or reduce the level of immigration because you've got too many people coming in. There's not enough people places for people to live. Gough Whitlam, one of the things he did in the early 70s as Prime Minister was really push regionalisation, which was, you know, trying to get people to move out of cities, like, you know, a place like Wagga, Albury-Wodonga, Ballarat, Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast, Ipswich, you know, those sorts of places to sort of reduce the pressure on um, supply of housing in the city. So if you don't learn the lessons from history, you repeat it. We're sort of doing that now. So it's a bit disappointing. Yeah, it's definitely disappointing. One we're going to chat about, there's a guy called Leith Van Olsen who's a pretty good writer online. 
talking about rental listings and how that's going to affect the country. Uh, he talks about there's a collapse in rental listings. It's pushing the combined capital city vacancy rate to 0.9%, a record low, meaning that across all of the capital cities, it's damn near impossible to get a rental. And the competition uh, between tenants to get that rental is really, really, really high. The national shelter analysis showed homelessness has increased 50% from 2020 to 2022. And a website called flatmates.com.au, which is obviously a platform where if you own a house and you want to rent out rooms, you can go onto that website and list your house. Also, if you are a person trying to find a room, you can go on that website to find a room to rent out as well. The number of members joining the platform increased 11.2% in October not surpassing the October 22 figure, 2022 figure, sorry, uh, which was 15.6%. So it's obviously not a peak number of members joining each month at the moment, but it's quite high compared to what flatmates.com.au are used to seeing. Uh, newly listed properties on that website increased 38% in the past year between 2022 October and, and October 2023, 9.7% as a, as, a, uh, as a monthly figure. So obviously, um, more homeowners are looking at leveraging spare rooms in their house uh, to rent out to people to live in to, to sort of help with extra cash uh, and help them with the cost of living pressures that might be going on. Uh, maybe their mortgage repayments has gone up and they're looking at extra ways to make some extra money. And if you own a house and you've got spare rooms in that house and you're comfortable opening those up to somebody to live in, you're you're providing a service, which is great for the economy. You're giving someone a place to live, but you're also going to make some money out of that, which is great for your bottom line too. The volume of traffic indicates share uh, demand for share accommodation is getting crazier and crazier. Uh, and Lee Van Olsen's biggest thing is he says Albanese's immigration program is un unprecedented. Net overseas migration must be lowered to a level below the nation's capacity while we supply new housing and infrastructure. And it's this big thing, right? Like if we don't have the infrastructure to support more people coming to the country, why don't we just pause the amount of people coming to the country so we can try and build it? And it sounds like we've got a, a problem with the number of workers we have available to help build that infrastructure. And that might be partly why we're bringing so many people into the country. But again, it's super hard to know what to do in this situation. And regardless of how much cr uh, criticism we might throw the government's way on this show sometimes, it's an it's impossible situation. I don't really know what to do about it. But yeah, I just wondered your thoughts on it. No, we've, we've been talking about this for ages. Like the the main issue is, and we talked, we've said this a thousand times. Three years ago, the main people who know what's happening in the property market, the John Lindemann, Simon Presley's, Simon and Brendan from Results Mentoring, um, the guys from Dash Dot, um, Ripe House Advisory, like you name them, um, all said we're going to have a rental crisis. Because coming out of COVID, um, people weren't traveling. Um, so more people were buying properties, especially first home buyers. We had record numbers of first home buyers. So they buy properties that would not, you know, either an owner occupier sells, but often that a renter that someone was, it was an investment property. We had housing, num 
the number of people per household dropping because people needed space for Zoom rooms and to work from home and all that sort of stuff. We had less people selling. So, you know, the average the average time in a house is now 21 years or something, and it used to be 12. So they all said this was going to happen. So three years ago on national TV, Simon Prezi, I remember watching him in October 2020, said we are about to have the biggest housing boom and rental crisis in history. But no one listens to them because they listen to the bank economists who think everything happens in a rational way, which it doesn't. We've got owner-occupiers doing silly things because it's an emotional thing. It's, yeah, it's actually, sorry, it's not silly. It's just that they buy things partly rationally but partly emotional, whereas mm. an investor is more rational and will tap out and let everyone else fight out for a property. So, yeah, look, if it was a simple solution, we'd be we'd be out of it. And, yeah, when there's lack of supply, you can either increase supply or you can reduce demand. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, the government spent the first 18 years with its head in the sand only considering um, one issue, um, and that went down a screaming heap last month. And now they've got to face up to all these other issues. The IMF turned up to Australia two weeks ago and said, we've got to reduce our infrastructure bill because it's putting too much pressure on materials and labour costs. So what are Labor now doing? They're announcing that they've got to do it. Now, it shouldn't have taken the IMF coming out to tell them that. It's a bit like defence being told by an external review that rather than have a lot of people in Adelaide, we'd be better off having them in Darwin because we're likely to be attacked from the north, you know, because the way it was at the moment, if if we were going to get attacked by the Chinese, it would just be, look, just hold them off for two days while we get there from Adelaide. Like it's 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 amateur out the comedy club, a lot of this stuff. So, yeah. look, in the end, rents keep going up because there's lack of lack of houses. That um, feeds into inflation. We, we have, in my opinion, and just remember I've said this hundreds of times, I actually failed economics at high school and I think at uni, oh, no, I passed it at uni, that was probably more good luck than good management. But at the moment we have a, a problem because we've got too, yeah, too much demand, not enough supply, and it's just going to keep pushing prices up. As rents go up, prices go up because yields are better. So um, anyway... Who knows? Yeah. We'll just have to we'll just have to see how, see how it goes. Yeah, the flatmates figures are interesting that there's more people looking for share, you know, get people in the share accommodation, which is a good thing. Yeah. It gives people a bit of extra coin and um, you know, get someone into into some accommodation, which is good. Yeah, with the flatmate stuff, like it is a, a good opportunity. Like if you're trying to make some extra money, if you're trying to figure out a way to sort of ease pressure on your cash flow, if you're feeling like you're not getting anywhere by saving, maybe you feel like you're not saving any money because you're you're in a position where your mortgage is really expensive and after all of your expenses, you don't have any money left over for anything. If you're in a position to open up your place and set it up as a share house, uh, it's not a bad idea. It'll help with the cash flow side of things. And obviously, it can be very swing, uh, hit and miss. You might let you uh, open your home up to somebody who might be not the best match or fit for your house. So I would, you know, obviously get like a legal binding agreement between the two or maybe have a trial period or something like that. But like, it's great for your wallet to get a little bit of extra, you can call it passive income, I guess, from someone who's living with you. And in my experience living in share housing before, 
It's always been quite fun. It's nice to have people at the house. You don't feel as lonesome if you're living by yourself in a bigger place. So it's definitely a good idea if you're you're sort of looking to boost your income and you're also providing a service that the government has consistently failed at doing. So, you know, all yeah. levels of government. Um, this one's interesting, right? Uh, so the Real Estate Institute, uh, every, every state and territory has a real estate institute. They're obviously a lobbying body that represent the interests of real estate agents, the coolest and most trustworthy people in our country. And the CEO of that institute's name is Kath Hart. She has spoken out in support of a state government incentive that they're going to implement. They're calling it the short stay incentive scheme. Uh, this incentive is proposed to give any landlord uh, who who had has had uh, entire property for rent on short stay booking platforms within the past six weeks, if they provide a twelve month lease to a long term tenant and take it off the short stay uh, market for for things like Airbnb or stays, uh, they will get given a ten thousand dollar cash payment made in two parts. Four grand will be paid once the application is approved, and six grand will be paid to them after the long-term agreement reaches the 12-month period. Short-stay property owners who want to get involved in this scheme can go to the state government's website for anyone over in WA with the formal application process is expected to begin at the end of this year. And uh, yeah, Kath Hart, the CEO from what we're calling Rewa, said for for some short-stay owners, this incentive may encourage them to make the switch. We need every long-term rental we can get at the moment. If it does boost rental supply, then that's a positive. And again, like... I don't know if it's going to do anything because I have a feeling people will probably make more than 10 grand profit every year renting their places out on Airbnb as compared to the long-term market. Maybe it'll it'll do some good from the government side of things and it's a definitely a, a more a, a thing that can influence housing supply in a positive direction much quicker than it's going to take to build all the housing necessary to ease the rental crisis, right? So I wondered, yeah, like I don't know if it's going to work, but it seems like a positive one from the government. And I do want to try and be a little nice to government if I feel like they're doing something good, you know? Damo, this is probably one of the best things I've seen. We've talked in ages, or a couple of years, well, for the last couple of years, about a thing called NRAS, the National Rental Affordability Scheme. So that was brought in, I think, by Kevin Rudd and Labor in the late, might have been 08 or 07 or something. And what it was is... It was a recognition by government that they can't provide, there is not enough funds for the government to provide housing for everyone that requires it. So what they did is there was a scheme where if you put your property on them, so just say you, it was 10 grand for the year, so say 200 a week. So if you had a property that was, the normal market rent would say be 500, you would, you and this is just in rough terms how it worked. If you put that house on the market to someone who was on who was in need of housing at 300 a week, the government would top you up the other 200. And it worked a treat and it was very successful. The coalition come in and abandon it. So this is it's a great move, it's a fantastic idea. Yeah, government, government, there is not enough money in government coffers to provide housing for, for everyone who wants it, who wants to rent. And about 30% of people rent, um, and that's been the long-term average you know, thereabouts for, for quite a while. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a cracker of an idea.
So hopefully it leads to something positive for sure. And hopefully hopefully, hopefully, other state governments come out and do it if the feds had any sense um, at, you know, when they're having their housing policy meetings. You know, the national housing ministers, they'd be, they'd be saying, okay, ladies and gents, let's rip in and do this. It's a cracker yeah. of an idea. It's great. Yeah. Anyway, there are a couple you wanted to cover, right, with interest rates and, yeah, yeah, and cool. borrowing capacities and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so last week, as we know, I think it was um, the 7th of um, November, the RBA put up interest rates. No surprise, no surprise. Part of the reason I reckon they did it, because the Treasurer was leaning on, well, appeared to be trying to, and a lot of, this has got a lot of public, a lot of, a lot of press, the Treasurer seemed to be leaning on the bank to try and influence them to keep rates on hold by saying there was no material change to their forecast. So there was a, it was a bit of a test for Michelle Bullock the fir, in her first meeting as, um, actually the second meeting, sorry, as um, RBA Governor, because I think um, Phil Lowe, you know, he, he said so long and thanks for all the fish at the end of, um, uh, towards the end of September. So there was, um, yeah, so rate, rates went up. Now, what happens when rates go up on the, so the RBA says, okay, rates are going up on the 7th. Most banks say, okay, we're going to put rates up from a certain period of time and some put them up straight away. The bigger banks put them up about, I think they put their rates up tomorrow. It's only a couple of days, but it is a couple of days at a lower interest rate. So that's something that something for them and their marketing department. But what happens is if you apply for a loan uh, and get approved and you you get it in get it applied for before the interest rate goes up, you get assessed to repay your loan on the low on the interest rate before the rate went up. So, but what what that means is if you <coughs> if you have a pre-approval and it's about to run out when you go to get reapproved if the interest rates have gone up your borrowing capacity will drop and since interest rates started going up in may 2022 most borrowers borrowing capacities dropped 30 to 35 sometimes 40 percent so if if in april last year your bank or broker said you could borrow 500k if you're still got the same financial situation, you know, no pay rise and no real changes to anything, your borrowing capacity probably only 350 now, maybe even 300. So just just be careful, and it's especially if you go into auction, because if you go, as we know, if you bid at auction and you are successful, there's no, yeah, you're gonna you're buying that house. So if you've overpaid for the house, you've got to make up the difference. You know, if the, if you've paid 500 and the bank says it's worth 480, you've got to pay the extra 20 grand. If the bank gets the valuation and there's four or five, number four or number five risk ratings on that property, they may decide that they don't want to lend on that property because it's too risky for them. Because with the bank, what they're, they're thinking, when, when they're looking at lending you money, they're looking at what what's their exit strategy if you can't pay the loan. So that's the thing. Think of, think of it. Yeah, I think as if you're a bank. So if you've got a pre-approval, make sure you get it um, reassessed. With dwelling approvals, they're, they're falling. In September, the dwelling approvals were the third lowest since June 2012. And just remember, not every approval gets built. So whereas they might say, <coughs> you know, well, we're, there's um, yeah, building approvals last year were 180,000. We may only build 150,000 because 
projects get delayed, builders go bankrupt, purchases can't settle. There's there's a number of reasons. So at the moment, you know, and this is part of the housing crisis, we've got less people moving, so there's not as many listings, and we're not building enough property for the people coming in. So we we said this, we've said this consistently over the last two years. If you're in a position to buy, have a look at it. If you're not going to be able to buy for a while and you're going to be renting, maybe look at a longer-term lease if you like where you live, yeah, one, two, maybe three years, and try and lock in a yeah a, a rent that's going to be affordable because yeah we're finding yeah some some of the clients coming to us, especially first home buyers, might have been paying four hundred a week and it's now going to five fifty. That's a thing. The only other one I was going to mention quickly, Damo, is just about clean energy and just some research from ComBank where 71% of people think energy efficiency housing, so mainly solar panels and that batteries and that sort of thing, increases the property value. So if a lot of people think that, that can normally translate into reality when you're coming, if you're coming to sell your home. Whether it's worth doing on an investment property, there's two schools of thought. Uh, Mike Maltlock, who's been on the show from MCG, they do depreciation schedules. He's saying, yeah, you, you can get some good depreciation benefits from um, from solar, but other people say, look, the tenant pays the bills, so there's no real benefit from it. So just, you know, don't sort of just, you know, blindly follow the hoard and, or, you know, if someone's knocking on your door saying, um, you know, have you thought of solar and is telling you that um, it's going to increase the property value or increase the amount of rent you can get if you were going to sell may not necessarily be true. So, yeah, just just give it some thought. It's probably something that you you think, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people sort of talking about it in regards to, um, yeah, that, that it's worthwhile doing. But yeah, just, just sort of be careful. Real quick with the ComBank stuff too, like they might be right in terms of, of you know, the saleability or the, the perceived value add from a buyer who sees, oh, you've got solar. That's a great, that's a great option for me, rah, rah, rah. Um, ComBank yeah. also offer loans to people to get solar panels installed. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like person that wants to make money from lending you money to get solar installed is saying that it helps you sell your house later on. Like, yeah. you know, take it with a grain of salt type of oh, deal. For sure. Yeah. And oh, the only other thing that I was just going to mention, this comes through from Simon Presley, and he was saying that um, over the last 17 years, there are the same number of properties available listings available now as there was 17 years ago and i think our, i think the figure used the population had gone up like six million or something so um i get asked all the time you know what's going to happen to the property market you know most property markets have gone up in the last year they did there was a bit of a um correction in 2022 but when you look at um say the last 18 months we've had 13 interest rate rises and and property prices have continued to go up. So, yeah, there's more there's more to it than interest rates. So, yeah, interest rates are important because um, it affects what people that sort of thing. But yeah, there there is a lot more to it than that. So, um, yeah, just sort of keep that in mind. Yeah, the figure was six point one million more people, but they're the same amount of rental properties 
we've got now were available in October 2006. So pretty scary stuff. Yeah, look, it ain't ideal. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, anyway, people will get out of here on that. Next Monday, there'll be a, uh, a chat we did early this week with a guy called Michael Blythe. He spent 13-odd yeah. years at the Reserve Bank. He spent 13, 15, maybe even 20 years as the head economist on staff at the Commonwealth Bank, and he's now the chief economist for a company called Downsizer. We're going to chat about a couple of different things. We already recorded it. It'll come out Monday. We're going to talk about why the government loves migration because of all the income taxes they're raking in right now from us, as well as uh, how older people could boost their superannuation balances and also free up housing supply for people that need it more who might be in that family formation stage of life compared to them maybe you know living in one of the bedrooms and and the other two or three bedrooms sitting idle and empty where they live so we talked about that and more that'll come out on monday so we'll talk to you next time have a good one be safe give your family a hug and uh we'll take it easy